All right, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> I know some of you love this time where you meet new people. This is your favorite. You meet the same person five times, and you're like, oh, we should probably grab coffee by now because we've done this so many times. Um, hey, I just want to say welcome. Glad you guys are here. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us, but we're taking the year to go through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're kind of just to going slow. We're not in a rush. We're not in a hurry. We have no idea when we'll be back in this Gospel, um, but we want to enjoy it. We want to see Jesus in every passage and every part of Scripture. Um, so Mark chapter 4, uh, while you're turning there, let me kind of uh, share briefly in case uh, I faint. Um, I, I woke up last night at 1.30 with a stomach flu. Uh, my wife had it on Friday to Saturday. I woke up at 1.30, got a good, good half an hour of sleep in today. Uh, a little dehydrated and tired, so if you're like, this guy's really sweaty and like about to, looks like he's going to faint. I'm not nervous, I'm just really sick. Um, so I'll be sitting down, um, but I'm, we're glad you guys are here, so hopefully that doesn't become distracting in any means. Um, and also I want to thank, you know, in case I do faint or can't make it, we've, we have Mike up here, he's going to finish out my sermon for me, because uh, it it's pretty bad, it's only been like 10 hours. Um, so I appreciate the prayers. Can we just add, also, can I just thank our team? You guys, every week they come and set up and do so much for us. Um, set up, tear down, and just not being able to be here. I feel like I miss almost being part of church. It's been weird. So uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're taking our time to go through Mark. If you guys remember last week, we actually gave out uh, 150 little Gospel of Johns. Last week, we studied the parable of the sower, and we asked you guys, go out and sow the word into your community, into your friends' lives. So um, I would love to hear any stories or how that maybe went, if you guys have any of those. But um, we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're taking our time. Let me just kind of catch up to speed in case you are new or um, maybe just your first time, whatever that might look like. But Mark is the first Gospel written, all right? You're like, no, Matthew is. No, Mark was the first Gospel written. Uh, this was written about 20 years after the life of Jesus. So this is really relatively recent from Jesus' death and resurrection. Mark penned it. Because there is rumors going around about Jesus, what he said, what he did. There are some false rumors going around. Uh, so Mark, who is discipled by Peter, actually goes, let me write down and pen this gospel. And Mark was written with Roman skeptics in mind. And so I, I like to bring that up because if you are a skeptic or if you have some doubts or frustrations, uh, Mark wrote this in mind with you. Someone who's not a Jew, someone who's a Gentile, and they're skeptical. Mark is trying to present to us the real Jesus, saying, I know you've heard rumors about Jesus. I know you've heard different things about Jesus, but here's the real, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he did and said, and you decide. And so, again, Mark's gospel has kind of been viewed as Peter's gospel because Peter discipled Mark. So most likely this is, one of the church fathers said, this is actually Peter's gospel, just Mark happened to write it. So it's kind of cool to read it from that vantage point. And Mark is really quick. We're in Mark chapter 4, and in like Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel, they're in chapter 8 or 13. Like Mark, so Mark's, Mark's pretty quick. He's rushing through some, some of it because he wants to just show us who Jesus is. And so here's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we studied the parable of the sower, and now we're going to continue this and look at all of the, the rest of the parables here in Mark 4. And so we're going to look at the parables of Jesus, the kingdom and parables, the kingdom and parables. And here's what we see. We see that Jesus tries to tell, not even tries, but Jesus tells us about the kingdom through parables. Jesus wants to make known the kingdom of God through parables. And even now you hear the kingdom or the kingdom of God, and like me, you go, what is that? What is the kingdom of God? Like, what does that look like? And Jesus had to use parables to describe the kingdom. And really, Jesus' ministry seems to constantly focus on this idea of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 14, it says, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' ministry begins right away saying the, the kingdom of God's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
His whole teaching seems to be focusing on the kingdom of God. In our passage today, in Mark chapter 4, verse 30, it says, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? So 126 times in the New Testament, we see this idea of kingdom, the kingdom of God. And what does that look like? And how does Jesus describe it? And how does that change us today? And is this, is this a future thing? Is this a current thing, a present thing? What does this look like? So we're going to look at the kingdom from the parables. And I think that Jesus communicates a lot in these four little parables. So uh, we're just going to read Mark chapter 4. We're in verse 21. We're going to read through it. And then we'll pray a little bit. And uh, just pray that I stay hydrated. Here we go, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be sent on a, set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come into the light. If anyone, listen, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. Again, listen, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever, whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said to them, another parable, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after the full grain in the head. But when the, the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It says, then he said to them, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out larger branches so that all the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word of them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, Jesus did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Let's pray that God right now explains all things to us through these parables. Father, we just thank you that we can slow down. And, and God, please let us not rush over this. What is it you want to say to us as a church today, God? What is it you want to say to us individually? Jesus, what is it about the kingdom and, and seeking first the kingdom, God? What is it about that that you want to get into our lives? We ask that you would just do that. That, Jesus, we would have ears to hear. That through my weakness, you would be really strong that God would just be so clear it's your spirit that's here and moving and working, and we just do ask for ears. God, I just pray for everyone that they would not be distracted today of any day. They'd not be distracted by your word, by the phone, by any thought, by anything coming up. Jesus, we just want to hear from you now in your wonderful name. Amen. I think most of you would agree, maybe not all of you, but even if you're not a Christian, Jesus is the greatest communicator of all time. Like when you, again, Christians, non-Christians, non-Christians will recognize Jesus spoke with such authority. It says in scriptures that people stood back in amazement. There's something about the way Jesus communicated, what he communicated, how he communicated. He was very captivating. We mentioned this last week. A third of Jesus' teachings came in parables from what we have in the scriptures. A third came in parables. So Jesus liked to tell stories. He liked to tell metaphors. Uh, he, he gave you and I a lot of stories. And I think it's because we pay attention to stories. If I share a story, you remember a story. You know, um, when I got saved, I was 16 years old, and I remember sitting uh, in like chapel, and I remember the preacher preaching, and I remember the text, I remember the stories and illustrations he gave, and I can't explain it, even though I heard the gospel hundreds, if not thousands of times by that age, it just penetrated my heart that day. 
and I'm like, I'm like, I'm done. I give in. Jesus, you are that substitute on my behalf. You took my sin, my filth, and you're also now you, you, you imputed your righteousness over to me. And I remember the message. I remember everything about it, right? And at 16 years old, the word of God cut me to the heart. And ever since then, the desire has been like, I want to make this, this book and this word known. I started teaching through the Bible about 18 years old, going through different books of the Bible. So that's kind of just with my friends. We started going through different books of the Bible and teaching through it. And here's probably the most difficult thing as someone who, who teaches the word or anyone who teaches, if you're a teacher, maybe you get this. Uh, but probably the hardest thing for me throughout the years. So I've been here now for about nine years in Florida teaching and I'll see some people. And it's funny, they'll come to me and say, Josiah, I remember the story of your grandpa when he fell down. And they're like, they remember these details? They remember the airplane story you told? Do you remember that cockroach story? They remember all of these details? I'm like, I don't remember them. Like, no, tell me. Like, how did it go? And they tell me the story. And then I'll ask them, and usually oftentimes when they tell me the story, I'll say, hey, do you remember why I told that story? Like, what was the point? Like, what was I trying to illuminate from telling you that story? And they're like, I don't know. It's a great story, though. You're like, oh, and it kind of eats you up alive because you're like, I'm glad you remember the story. I'm glad you remember like the details of it, but do not remember the truth. It was illuminating. And I think that can be the frustrating part is we can remember the stories or parables of Jesus, but do we see the the truth that's illuminating? Because here's the thing. The kingdom of God is very complex and yet simple. And it's hard sometimes to understand that. It's hard when Jesus says, it's like a seed. You're like, well, it's simple but complex. And it's hard sometimes uh, to summarize the kingdom of God. You know, if I had to summarize the kingdom of God, I don't know if I could. It's like, oh, it's God's reign over God's people, over God's place. Like, but is that really the extent of the kingdom of God? Because again, a lot of the scriptures, even moving into the New Testament, will talk about the kingdom of God. And so what is it? How does it work? What is it like? Is it now? Is it one day? Um, how does this play out? Again, it's hard to summarize it in a sentence. If, I've, if you came to me and said, Josiah, summarize your family to me in a sentence, and I try to summarize my family to in a sentence, that wouldn't do justice to my family. If you're like, just I summarize your family, I'd have to tell you stories about how my wife and I first met. I'd have to like show you pictures and videos. You'd have to meet my son and see his little mischievous smile and be like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like, you have to have like little like windows into our family, little glimpses, little stories or parables. It's hard to just bring it together and just kind of summarize it. And so we're gonna, Jesus t- tells us the kingdom through parables. And there's a few different truths we see here. A few different truths illuminated about the kingdom of God. So here's, here's four parables. Here's four thoughts. We're going to br- like look into it more and break it down. Here's the first one. Number one, uh, we're going to see the kingdom revealed. The kingdom revealed being like a light. Number two, the kingdom economy, just with the measure you use and how it's measured back to you. Number three, the kingdom principle. The kingdom principle, like the main thing we see about the kingdom and the attitude and the spirit of the kingdom. And then we're going to see the kingdom unexpected. All right, the kingdom unexpected. So let's just break this down, walk through this, uh, do my best to kind of walk through this. Hopefully these parables take root now in our hearts. So uh, first, first and foremost, the kingdom revealed. The kingdom revealed. Look at verse 21 again. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. All right, let me just start off by this and saying this. Um, sometimes there's this idea that God is trying to make it very difficult for people to come to him. Or like God is hidden or God is distant or God doesn't care. He's removed from his creation. Let me be really clear. People think that it's like, I found God, I seek God. God is the lamp. God is the light. God found us. God seeks us. Throughout scriptures, we see that no one seeks after God, no, not one. And then you're always talking to that one person who thinks, no, but I sought him. It's like, mm, but no one, right? There's this idea that God is this lamp. God is this light. God reveals, God exposes, and Jesus is saying here, the kingdom of God is going to be clearly seen. It's going to be the center. It's going to be made priority over everything else. Because here's the idea of a lamp in a home. Their home was usually just one room, 
kitchen, bathroom, like everything was just one circle or one square, one room, one space with a lamp. And I don't think candle, think like an, you know, an oil lamp. And it's the center of the room, illuminating the room. And the lamp was to be center of everything. And Jesus is saying, and he's actually kind of being sarcastic, what the writers talk about, like the language he's using. He's like, no one brings a lamp and puts it under your bed. You're going to burn your, your bed, right? Like no one does that. It's actually like written in a way where it says literally the lamp does not come into a room. Like this isn't Pixar with the lamp bouncing in. He's using sarcasm. They would have got it. It's hard for me to explain it. Uh, but he's using sarcasm here. And he's going, we all know what the purpose of a lamp is. It lights up darkness. It illuminates the room. It exposes things. It makes things clear. Light also makes warmth. There's a side of light that it, it warms us. It's beautiful to us. We, we love light. We, try to, like, we change our whole like, room dynamic or our living room dynamic based off where light is. Light is so important to us. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like a lamp and it's going to expose all things. So here's something for you and I. That Jesus it says the kingdom of God is a light and Jesus said about himself, I am the light of the world. That Jesus is the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5, it actually says it this way. He says, this is the message that we have seen and heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And here's what Jesus says now about you and I. That you and I are the light of the world. That God is light but we are now image bearers of this light. That Jesus is the light of the world and we're like the, we're like the moon in a sense reflecting the sun to the world. We're also bearing light. Uh, Jesus said it in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Understand this. Jesus starts off with your identity. This is who you are. Your identity is you are a light to the world. You're an image bearer of God. If God is light, and I'm an image bearer of God, I'm going to be light. And Jesus starts with our, with our identity. And if you are light, you will be light. And please hear this and don't miss this. What we see in this passage is if you are light, that's your identity, your activity is you'll be light. You'll expose darkness. You won't be ashamed of the gospel. You want to tell people about Jesus. You want to bring it into your family's life, bring it to your friend's life. You want to carry it with you wherever you go. You're not going to hide it under a basket or under a bed. You're not going to be ashamed of it. You're going to want to make it fully known, put it in a prominent place where Jesus cannot be second to anyone or anything else, where he can be fully the light of the world. See, Jesus is saying, if I'm light, you're light, and your activity will be like light activity. You will, ex- you, will, you will actually shine my goodness and my love and my beauty to the rest of the world. And I'm so thankful for this, that God always starts with, this is who you are. This is who you are. He doesn't say be light. He says you are light, so be light. He says, this is your identity, so let this now be your activity. I'm so thankful because in the church, it can be, be light, be light, be light, but just know this, you are light. You are light. And out of that truth and out of that identity you have in Christ, now be light. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. I feel like this verse gets most quoted a lot or like underused. He says in Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but the finishing it, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, sometimes we'll quote this verse and be like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, period. No, but it's God who works in you both to will and to do. God has put something in you. God has worked something in you. We are working out what God has worked in. God says, you're a lot of the world. This is who you are. Now work it out. God's like, I've made you new. Now work it out. You don't have to find, you don't have to have this activity and to be these things, to do those things, to become those things. You have that identity. So I don't have to be light to try to be light, to try to do good things. And now I'm finally the light of the world. It's no, you ha- this is your identity. You start with that first and foremost. You are the light. Now work that out. Now work that out with fear and trembling. God's already worked it in you. Now work it out. 
And I, and I love this because we talk to people and you're like, well, why is your lifestyle different? It's like, because I met Jesus. Like, why don't you do that anymore? Go there. Say, and it's like, I, don't, I, can't, I just met Jesus. He changed my, my identity. He changed everything about me. I'm not trying to go to Jesus, like clean up my life and go to Jesus. I go to Jesus. He cleans up my life. There's that side of the gospel. You go, it's so empowering and so freeing. It's not once you do this, then you can have Jesus. Like, you have Jesus. So go do this. <laughs> like, so work it out. And it's so empowering and it's so freeing. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like a light. And it needs to be center. And it's going to reveal darkness. And God's going to reveal all things. One of the most humbling verses, I think, in all of scriptures is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. And in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul writes, Therefore, judge nothing, judge nothing before the time comes, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. We work so hard to get men's praise. We work so hard to impress people. We work so hard for them to think highly of us. And God's like, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to expose the motives of your heart. He's going to expose the motives of my heart. And that is incredibly humbling. And that is incredibly, God, please, like, purify my heart, my motives. When you bring light to it, God, I want, I want each one's praise to come from God. I want to hear you say well done, not other people say well done. If no one ever tells me well done, but God tells me well done, that's enough. If no one ever says, you, you live for Jesus and agree, you lived a life that was honorable, set apart for Jesus. If no one ever tells me that, but Jesus tells me that, then I have it. That's all that matters. You are the light of the world. This is your identity. Now he says, be that light. Live that light. This is the kingdom of God. It's like a light. And we'll move on. We're going to see the kingdom, number two. The kingdom economy. And this is an interesting parable to me. Look at verse 23. We'll start there. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it'll be measured uh, to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. All right, when I say the kingdom economy, you're like, what does that mean? Let me explain that in just a second. Let's just start here. Jesus starts off in verse 23 and verse 24, like five different times. He says, if you have ears, ears, hear, hear me, pay attention, take heed. He's like being really clear, like, listen, we need to listen to this. Now, I want to talk for a second about listening, <laughs> all right? Because once you become a follower of Jesus, you're now a learner of Jesus. Disciple means learner. That's what it means. If a disciple simply means a learner. You and I are all students of the word. We're students of Jesus. And, and I, I want to make this clear because sometimes we can be like, people come to church, we're like, go do this. Go, 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 do, do, do. Jesus starts off with listen, listen, listen. And that is so important. Before it's go, go, do, do, just listen. Just listen to the words of Jesus. Just sit at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we need to just hone in our listening skills. We need to grow in our listening skills. Sometimes we're really good at talking and not so good at listening. Jesus is like, just listen, hear me. Hear me, have ears to hear. And I think there's something like five different times, ears, hear, listen, take heed, pay attention. We need to get better. I need to get better at listening. My wife wants to yell amen, but she's not. She's trying really hard not to. I need to get better at listening. Jesus is saying, listen, hear, take heed. Here's a few thoughts I want to give you about listening because I think this is so important to us because I know that you right now, are, we're practicing this in a sense. This is weird to people still. People go, does teaching the Bible still work? Does it really work to teach the Bible where people listen? How does that work? How does it happen? And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. There's something about communicating, speaking out the word of God and just listening and believing and letting it sink into your heart. So a few thoughts about listening really quick I want to give you. Don't let the messenger take you away from the message. And please hear this one. <laughs> For even me, you're like, Josiah, you're really distracting. I know, I, I'm sick. This is bad. I'm all over the place. Sometimes. Don't let the messenger take you away from the message. 
God wants to speak something to you, and we, we can be so critical of, well, this person is too old, they're too young, they don't look like me, talk like me, sound like me, and now we're not able to receive. And, and don't let the messenger take away from the message. God wants to say something. Whenever someone stands up and opens the word of God, I can learn something. You know, the worst thing is when I, I worked with some students and they would tell me, I've heard that story before. I know that. And I'm like, man, I, I've read this a thousand times and I barely know it. Like, I barely scratched the surface to this, right? Like, when we have like such weird excuses, and I, I do think we kind of live in this like food criticism culture where it's like, hmm, that sermon was too sweet today. <laughs> it was too spicy for me. I don't know. Like, so sometimes we're just like very food critic-ish when it comes to the message rather, like, and this is what we do, and I know I do this. I will critique the message rather than letting the message critique me. I will say something about the message and I'd rather let the message say something about me. And don't let the messenger get in the way of the message. God wants to speak, God wants to move, and I, we might not look the same, talk the same, do the same, we might hear different people week after week, but don't let the messenger get in the way of the message. Even today, as just praying over, like, God, let me have energy and not, you know, you know, be completely dehydrated, let me be able to speak, and I know that sometimes I can get in the way and I go, God, remove me. Like, let people see you. Let, not be about, let it be about you, Jesus. You are the message. That's the first point to hit listening. Number two, allow the preacher to challenge you. And I'll make this just really quick. Allow the preacher to challenge you. Not just me. I have to read books and read things and have people speak in my life that challenge me, that say things I don't like, that I don't want to hear. If someone says something, if I say something you don't like, rather than dismissing it, maybe explore that some more. You know, if my spouse says something to me that I don't like, it's not usually that she's wrong. It's that I just don't like it. <laughs> it's not that she's off in her heart and character. I just don't want to hear it right now. There's a side of this where if there's something challenging or pressing in and you're like, I don't like this, I would say, good, maybe God wants to speak to you about that. If this is a sore subject, maybe God wants to heal that and not make it sore anymore. So allow the, the preacher to challenge you. Number three is this, uh, what's your takeaway? A good part about listening, I really do think, is anytime we gather together, like today, when this is over, when we're done with this, what's your takeaway? And that might be like your one thought. It's like, what's my takeaway? Uh, but what is your takeaway? What are you going to walk away with? That, you know, it's funny. That's why we do community groups throughout the week. We gather in groups all throughout South Florida because we're like, now let's take the message we just heard. And rather than doing another message on top of that, we're just confused. Let's dive into it more. Let's apply it together. Let's talk through it some more. Josiah talks too fast. Makes no sense to me. I need help here. Like, that's why we have that. That's why we get into groups. We want to spend some time digesting it and getting into it some more. So what is your takeaway? When you walk away today, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? What is he encouraging you with? What is he saying, let go of? What is he saying, now, now is the time, this is enough. You're a hypocrite, there's this, there's that. Be, you know, or maybe this is something encouraging. Like, what is the, the takeaway that God is showing you? Number four is, uh, the Bible doesn't just want to inform you, but transform you. So please, as you listen to this, as you listen to this, we're not just here to give you points and thoughts and quotes and verses. The Bible's not just here to give you more information and we just grow in information. That is supposed to be revelation from God that now leads to transformation in our lives. God wants to transform us. It is, I think the, the thing I've seen in my life that probably had to repent of the most is hearing the word but not doing. Hearing the word but it just stays there on hard hearts. The soil just, the seed just stays on top of the soil and eventually the bird takes it out. I'm saying like, listen in such a way where you say, Jesus, let this transform me. So we see God's economy. Now what does that mean? In verse 23 and verse 24, listen to this. We'll throw it up here for you. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let me just put it this way. Um, there's no neutral zone in, like, Christianity. You can't be neutral. You are either growing or you're diminishing. That is really the big thought. 
There's either growth happening in your life and in my life, in your marriage and your friendships and your love. Either growth is happening or growth is not happening. Those who, basically, Jesus saying those, if you hear well, you will hear more. If you, hear, if you don't hear well, you will hear less. The same measure you use is a measure that will be given back to you. That is an interesting thought, and I think it can apply to so many ways. I think there are people who give, and the way they give, they're expecting God to go, God, I'm giving not to expect that you owe me, but this, I'm going to take this principle, this truth. God, I'm going to pray in such a way, with such big measure, I'm going to expect you to show up. There, there's a side where they, these are now spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, saying, I'm going to do this, and God, you tell me the same measure I use, the same measure will be given back to me. N.T. Wright, this guy that's way smarter than me, probably the most you know, smart theologian that's alive still today, uh, he wrote this. Here, about this verse, Jesus seems to be telling his followers that the level to which they pay attention to what he's teaching them will be the level at which they receive the benefits of the kingdom. The level at which you pay attention is the level at which you'll receive the benefits of the kingdom. The same measure you use will be the same measure given back to you. So we see God's economy, just how God moves and how God works. And I love this one. We're going to move on. But number three, we're going to see God's principle. Or we're going to see the kingdom's principle. Number three, look at verse 26. Let's read this parable. He says, Jesus said to them, listen to this. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. What is the kingdom principle? couple different thoughts that are a little bit different. All right, here's the first thought about this. Throughout scriptures, we see sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. That whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. You sow righteousness, you reap righteousness. You sow corruption, you reap corruption. There just seems to be that principle. Like whatever you, I sow an apple, I'm probably going to get an apple, not a, like a watermelon, right? Like whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Paul said it in Galatians 6, uh, verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows the spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. And this idea of this farmer, he sows his seed, he wakes up and goes, oh wow, it's sprouting. It's growing. And here's the kingdom principle that is really big to me. Here's the, please don't miss this. When you see throughout the New Testament Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, it's basically everything he says is counterintuitive to us. The seed goes down so it can go up. Jesus says, you want to save your life, you must lose it. You want to be the greatest of all, you must become the least of all. Please listen to the kingdom principle. He's like, you want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be last, you're going to be first. There's this kingdom principle that's so counterintuitive to everything we're familiar with. That Jesus says, if you give it all, if you give it all away, you have everything. What the world tells us, though, is opposite. Accumulate, take in more, save more, 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 and the more you have, the more you'll have. But Jesus says, no, the more you accumulate, the less you have. The kingdom is so contrary to everything we've been told or grown up with. If I want to save my life, I must give it. I must lose it. Please hear this kingdom principle. Please see this just scattered throughout the Gospels. It's contrary to everything maybe we've heard or felt. It's like, fight, make your name for yourself, fight for yourself. And Jesus is like, lay down your life and you'll find it. It is just so contrary to everything we, we've heard. And I really think this is such a powerful kingdom principle that the more I give, the more I have. The, the more I, I, I forgive others and release others of the debts, the more I experience that freedom. There's something just really unique about the kingdom of God and how it works, and it's this upside-down kingdom. And I, I love that about God's kingdom. I love how he describes his kingdom. And look at this phrase. I have to point out this phrase. It was actually before I point out the phrase. Uh, I quote him too much, but a guy named C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and he ends his book uh, by saying this. I almost want to stand up for this one, uh, but I can't. Too tired. All right. He says, (laughs) the principle, listen, this principle, 
runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body. In the end, submit with every fiber uh, of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run whole only, listen, look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay, but look for Christ and you'll find him with everything else thrown in. Is this not the kingdom? Seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. That doesn't really matter. You, you, you seek first those things, you're going to miss it all. You seek him, you'll, you have it included. There's just this kingdom principle he's talking about. And here's why I love this phrase, and I, I tried to say it earlier. He says in verse 28, for the earth, listen, the earth yields crop by itself. Can we just talk about that? The earth yields crop by itself. The farmer goes, he works really hard. He works really hard. Lays his head down at night, but he wakes up and he sees something come out of the ground. And there is this idea in the, in the kingdom of God that really God does the work. God does the growth. God does it. There, I, I, what I love about this passage, it seems to be an extreme example of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. That we see that God is completely sovereign. God grows it, God does it, but he's basically, the, the farmer still farms. He still sows seeds. He still removes reeds. He still, he still waters the seed, but he rests. He knows he does part, and he knows that God will give the increase. The, the earth yields it by itself. Did Paul not say this in 1 Corinthians 3? When Paul was talking about the church and, and how the church works and how it's built, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, listen to this. Paul writes, I planted, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, we're nothing, neither he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. That's who gets the glory. We plant, we water, but who grew it? Who made it that seed that shall die in the ground and come out? That is God. The earth grew by, it just, the land grew by itself. Can I tell you there's something about rest too in this? We're really bad at this. We are a generation in many ways, and, and it's crazy. I even think about my son. Like, I used to have, you know, Internet Explorer where you would, like, turn on the Internet, and you'd hear, like, ding, and you'd hear the music. And, like, I'd walk away for, like, five minutes, and someone would pick up the phone. You're like, oh, why'd you do that? It just was done. Like, you know, I kind of walked away in that generation where things were pretty fast in some ways. You know, my son, we give him our phone. If it doesn't, like, go to, like, YouTube right away and watch, we can watch, like, Bubble Guppies or something, he's like, meh. Like, what was that scream? Like, what was that? Like, it's been, like, 0.1 second. Like, it, things are just so quick. Here's what's interesting about farming. This goes against everything we've grown up with. This is about working really hard and waiting and being patient. We don't like that. We like immediate results. I want it and I want it now. I will Amazon drone it to my house. I need it now. Like we want it so fast. I, and it's bad. I've seen this in my life. Like my wife and I like now have gotten like into Uber Eats. We're like, we're hungry and lazy. Uber Eats and it's bad. We're like, oh, we gotta stop doing this. It's funny. We just grew up with like immediate results, immediately things happening. And there's something so important in Christians. Please don't miss this. He's saying you're gonna work hard and you're gonna wait. And, and I love this thought, sowing takes work, but growth takes time. Sowing takes work, but growth takes time. Is that not true? Sowing will take work, but growth will take time. And sometimes we're like, well, why have I not conquered this sin yet? Why is there still this thing in my life? Sowing seed takes a lot of work. Put in the work, and growth will take time. It's not going to change or happen overnight. We're not going to see South Florida reach in the name of Jesus overnight. Can I tell you, like, for us, our desire is just we're praying for faithfulness. Not just, like, excitement about Jesus that will like, be here for one day and be gone the next. We're saying, God, raise up people, just faithful people. 
that want to work and sow seeds and work hard until the day they die, that they can lay their head down at night and just watch you give the increase. And even if it's not in their lifetime, even if it's not in my lifetime, but we see God give the increase, we could be celebrating with him from heaven that God gave the increase, that God did it, that we sowed hard, we worked hard, but God, you did it. He who plants is nothing. He who waters is nothing, but God who gives the increase. I love that God gets the glory, that God gets the attention, that God did it all, and that's, that, that is the kingdom principle. There's a side of sowing and reaping, but it's God, God who gives the increase. If anything good ever, ha- if you, you know, it's encouraging when we hear what God's been doing already, it's very encouraging, but praise the Lord for that, that God has t- woken up dead people and made them alive. I can't do that. Praise God that God has pursued people's hearts and say, get baptized, follow Jesus. Praise God for that. That is nothing we could ever force or manipulate. We're saying, God, you give the increase. We see this kingdom principle. And lastly, we're going to see the kingdom unexpected. The kingdom unexpected. Look at verse 30. Then Jesus said to them, What shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. All right, why did I say the kingdom unexpected? This is unexpected to me. Jesus goes, what shall I liken the kingdom of God to? Oh, I know, a mustard seed. That's weird to me. I feel like he'd be like, what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's a mountain. It's a giant mountain, the mountain Mount Everest, right? Or it's like a waterfall. It's a powerful waterfall. Jesus goes, the kingdom of God is like a seed. You know, we'll show up, throw up a picture, but this seed, this mustard seed, was one millimeter in diameter, one one twenty eight one twenty eighth of an ounce, right? It's the grain of a sand. Jesus is like, the kingdom of God is like this. <laughs> you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so like, you're like, what, what is he liking it to? And he goes, a mustard seed. It's almost like disappointing. It's like it's supposed to be epic. It's supposed to be awesome, and yet it's a mustard seed. And God's like, through small things, it begets great things, big things, where the birds of the air can nest. And that's an interesting phrase to me. I, I was spending time like, what does that even mean? And, and some people take it back to birds being a symbol of just like kind of evil, bad things. Like the kingdom of God is full of evil and bad things. The point is kind of like Jesus' kingdom so far is tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And so this grows up, you're like, oh, birds are there. Ugh. Like birds are annoying, right? We don't want birds there. Like get the birds off my herbs. No one wants birds around their herbs. I don't know if it's a weird run. But no one wants that. And this idea is that the kingdom of God is really reaching all kinds of people and unexpected things that we would never expect. It's just unexpected. Everything about it's unexpected. You would expect him to say it's like a mustard seed. Think about Jesus, the one from Nazareth, born of a virgin, living in Nazareth, a city of probably 70 people, never traveled more than 100 miles away from his home, a guy that never wrote a book, never made music. Jesus has more books written about him, more art made about him, more poems made about him, that every nation, every corner, every person has heard of the name. Like, it's crazy. You go, this guy, Jesus, who seems almost insignificant, dies at 33, dies young, homeless guy, that Jesus changed the world? Like, how are you telling me that? The guy from Nazareth, the guy from Galilee, nothing good comes from Galilee, right? Like, everything about the kingdom is just so unexpected. And there's something about this, because please hear this for us. Sometimes we think about the kingdom of God or the church or doing things for God, we think big things. I want to do big things for God, and God's like, do small things. I really want us to hear this one. A lot of us want to do big things for God, and God's like, can you just fall on your knees and pray? That's a big thing. That's a mustard seed. Can you forgive that person? That's a mustard seed. Can you confess your sin to someone and stop being so self-righteous? That's a mustard seed. It's interesting how the mustard, it's so small, it seems almost insignificant, and yet it produces great life and great fruit. And there's something about that. We all want to do big things for God, and God's like, please start small. You know, I can't tell you how often I was so annoyed, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I remember uh, living in California, graduate high school, there's things and dreams I wanted to do. God, like I said, God pulled my heart at that age, and I started teaching the Bible. 
I'm like, what do I do? I became a janitor for a year at a church. And I can't tell you, it was so annoying. It was so obnoxious. During that year, like every day, someone would walk up to me and be like, hey, Josiah, don't despise the day of small things. And like, I'm like, ugh, like, I hated them. I'm like, get out of here. And like, it was like that verse, like in Zechariah 4, I, like, I loathe that verse. I'm like, get out of, and it was so good. And I, and I never graduate from that verse. I need that today. That don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise that small conversation with your son or daughter. Don't despise that coffee with someone that just, it's difficult. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise, again, just loving someone, blessing someone, pain. Don't, the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. And he goes, and it produces something, again, maybe 10 to 15 feet of herbs, like a big herb, kind of like, it's more of a bush with branches. It's just like a big bush. It's like that small thing produces big bush. And it's so unexpected. It's not what we'd think Jesus would say. It's not how we'd think it'd work. We thought he would say maybe something different, but he goes, it's a mustard seed. And I, and I want us to hear this because let us be a mustard seed church where we're willing to do those small things, those menial things, to go the extra mile to love or bless the school. We hear of a need. We can make that need known. It's like, let's do that. Like, I would love to be a mustard seed church in that sense. We're like, whatever we might hear or th- think, and it's like, that's too small, though. That's not meaningful. That's not life-changing. Like, no, but it is. And we have no idea of what kind of, how, what kind of shape that will take or, or how it will grow or what, how that will, like, transform over the years. There's something about a mustard seed. It seems insignificant and small, and yet it produces life and shade and covering and health and food. It just, there's something about it. And so here's how we're going to kind of close at our time, because we're talking about the kingdom of God. There is no kingdom of God without a king. The reason we talk about the kingdom of God is because there's a king. I've been listening to uh, these pastors talking through this podcast recently. I love it. They say, everyone in this world today wants the kingdom without the king. We all want love and unity and peace and wealth and prosperity. We all want all these things but we don't want the king. I don't want a king who will tell me what to do or how to live. I can do it my way. And basically saying like they've adopted this New Testament idea that we are moving towards this idea that the kingdom of God is coming, that Jesus will rule and reign forever. Like they've adopted this idea. They want that peace. They want that luxury, but they don't want the king. And here's what we're saying. We're saying, I want the king. If I have the king, I have the kingdom. If I have the king, I have everything else. And so what we're going to do today is just close our time by, by taking communion and remembering our king remembering the fact that our king became a baby. The baby grew up and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. And this message has gone out now for a couple thousand years, just transforming lives. And we're going to take communion saying, Jesus, thank you so much that your blood was shed for my sins and that your body was given for me. And here's what I just want to say. We're going to worship. Listen, please listen, church. We're going to worship during this time. We're going to give you communion, ask you to take it alone. If you see the communion plate coming and, and you don't believe in Jesus, let the plate pass in front of you. That is totally fine. Why remember something or believe in something you don't believe in? But if you don't believe in Jesus and you say, but I do want to take communion, I do believe this. I'm, this, this idea of the mustard seed, the kingdom, the upside down kingdom, I do believe this and take it. Then celebrate Jesus. Then remember Jesus. But we're going to pass out communion in just a few moments. We're going to worship. And I'm not going to come back up here again. So you guys, you guys take communion at your seat. Sing a little bit. Praise God a little bit. Remember the king who became the slave. Remember our king and how he brought the kingdom and how it's also coming. The kingdom is here, but the kingdom's at hand, and it's coming. And so let's pray now and just remember our king. Amen? So they're going to pass out communion. Feel free to take it privately alone and uh, worship as well.